Wow. Hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. It's like a much more intense version of uh Oh my gosh. My sister used to work at this spa and they had some like pretty intense like eucalyptus paper. oil. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Do you do this every day? No. Only <laughs> doing podcasts. Oh. Yeah. It's okay actually. Um <laughs> what about the internal state? How does it feel on the internal state? How does it feel on the inside? The tobacco? Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of like choking me up a little bit. Like I feel like I don't have my entire voice. Mm. And did you take a drink of water? Oh, yeah. Maybe in a minute. I'm just kind of... I really like the feeling of um, new sensations, even if they're rather uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, Wait. Like, for example, there's like some drugs that people take and they don't like how it impacts like their heartbeat or their chest or it freaks them out a little bit. Mm-hmm. I tend to really like that. It's like this um, reminds you you're alive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peak experiences. What's that? Peak experiences. Oh, peak, ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely do want some water or coffee, but I kind of want to let it like, sit for a sec. All right. Yeah. Hmm. So, so what are some of the pivotal moments that made you the person that you are? Today, pivotal moments, especially from your childhood, perhaps. There's so many. <laughs> uh, let's see. It's helpful for me to think chronologically or somewhat chronologically. Um, so I think like something that's important to know about me that I think is a very like creative was ended up being a very much like a defining characteristic of who I am is. My parents got divorced when I was very young. I think I was two, three, something like that. My sister Sarah, who um, hopefully you'll meet at Mystic next year, we're both there, um, was about 16 months younger than I am. And the custody battle that my parents had for my sister and I was the, I think the longest ever in the county that we grew up in. It was nine years long in four different courts. and. Everything that happened with that, <laughs> like there's a lot of uh, not not great is probably the best way of describing it, um, I think was really important in terms of shaping who my sister and I are or shaping who I am. Um, I believe a lot in the beauty of struggle and that was fucking hard. It's fine. It's okay For to you. swear. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. For everybody involved. Me, my sister my parents, <laughs> everybody. I don't think there was a single person that it was easy for. Mm. And um, so that, I think, like that basically went on until I was almost 11. Mm. Um, so that was definitely a defining component to my life. Starting at the age of five is when I started going to work with my dad. I don't remember a lot from when I was five. I just remember I would drive around with him and I think he would give me $5 or something and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And then I started working in his sheet metal shop when I was nine. I wasn't allowed to use it or any, everything because they didn't want me to cut my fingers off. But, um, but learning like, work ethic and getting be able to spend real, like it was kind of a sacred time Saturday mornings. We got to ride to the office together. I got to hang out in the sheet metal shop. He would do work in the office and then go home together. And so I learned a lot from my dad through those years and still follow on from that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say... What'd you learn? 
Oh, there are so many things. In hindsight, I think the one of the biggest ones was care for people. Hmm. Uh, my dad always cared a lot for the people that worked for him. He cared a lot about my sister and I. He cared a lot about my grandparents, um, my mom, and so. When you like really, when you really care about people, you make certain sacrifices that I think are different than um, some people would be willing to make. Hmm. And so I just I was exposed to some of that, so I learned a lot about it. Can you, to, can you say a little bit more about concretize it? Like, how did he show his care? It's like. I guess you could almost think of it as like five love languages. Okay, <laughs> so sure. Yeah. It really depends on what those things are. So some things you could just say is in terms of like time and dedication. So little things. My dad was an insanely busy person. Um, I played football all four years in high school. He worked the chain gang. He never missed a single game. Mm. Um, he um, he fought real hard for custody of my sister Sarah and I um, growing up. So. Every dollar that he had, any ounce of energy that he could put towards it, he did, and sacrificed a total lifestyle and life to be able to do so. Hmm. Um, there would be guys that would work for him, and they would be short on cash because some emergency happened in their life, um, you know, something out of their control, usually medically related. He would loan them money. He'd expect to get paid back, but like he would loan them money, hmm. uh, sometimes personally, sometimes from the business at zero percent interest. Um, so those kinds of things, you know, I think matter. Um, and the way that you approach it is different for each individual person in terms of what their needs are. But that kind of um, like ethic or value system always stuck with me. You know what, there's an easy way to see what people are really committed to. You look at their calendar, you look at their credit card statements. Oh, huh. that's interesting. Right? Because yeah. it's easy to say, I love you, mm -hmm. but it's another to actually see what they do with the limited resources they have. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. So, obviously not deterministically, but uh, it's a pretty good indicator. Yeah. What else? What other pivotal moments happened oh. in your childhood? Yeah. Uh, I think playing football in high school was a really important um, defining characteristic. I'm not the most athletic person in the world. Mm. Um, I could probably outwork anybody on the field, at least at that time in my life. Mm. And so, um, yeah, basically it, that's another one that's really focused on work ethic. Mm. The most humbling time in my life was freshman year in college. Um, I've, I've been blessed. I, I have a very good memory. I'm pretty good with numbers. And so to get A's was really easy. Mm. And then I went to college where there was a lot of people that were equally or much smarter than I was and had better work ethics than I did when it came to studying. Mm. And so then I got my teeth kicked in in terms of my grades because mm. I just figured I could put in similar level of effort and get the same outcome. And that was not true. And mm. so that was a good realization of one, um, Dedication or commitment to like what I like, like what outcome I really wanted being very conscious about it and two that uh, Different people have different skills mm. So I learned this a lot where the first summer that I interned at this laboratory called Sandia 
I remember. Oh, you interned at Cyndia Lab. Oh, you know Cyndia? Yeah, I came from a biomedical engineering background. Oh, okay. So, yeah, not a lot of people know Cyndia. Mm -hmm. So, like, the group that I was in the first summer that I interned there, this was, I think, at the end of undergrad. Um, and then I'll get to the next, def like, defining moment as I chart through these. Um, I remember in, like, the cubicle that I was in that I shared with this girl, Michelle, um, she eventually became a, like, founding professor at UC Merced. She was this like amazing published person and the girl behind me was from Johns Hopkins and Harvard and there was even a kid who was in high school. He'd won like a California national math competition. And I was like, I am easily the dumbest person in this group. And that was really humbling. But then by the end of the summer realizing that I was just different smarts or had different capabilities. There was things that I could do that none of them can do. There were many things that they could do that I couldn't do. And so learning more, like from, I always understood the value of a team on a physical sense. I didn't really understand it as much intellectually. Mm. And so that was a, like, in high, I don't think I was consciously learning that at that time, but in hindsight, that's when I started to learn that. Mm. The next time was, um, so hold on one second. Yeah. So was that the point where you kind of start to discover your superpowers? What do you mean? Yeah, your special skills, you just said, right? Yeah, you're oh. intelligent in different ways. So is that kind of like the realization, the coming into your superpower? Hmm, I think so, yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to put words in your mouth, but oh, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's what I kind of hear. I think so. I still don't like fully know what all of them are. Yeah. Uh, so I consider it like a never-ending work in progress. Yeah. But I would say learning more of the like social dynamics and t leading teams and working with people that like you're working to accomplish a goal that's more of a intellectual endeavor instead of a physical endeavor mm -hmm. like a football team it's more of a physical endeavor there's right. don't get me wrong there's a lot of mental energy Absolutely. and focus that goes into yeah. it but something that's more like purely intellectual which is more in a scientific capacity mm -hmm. um, that was different i had never been exposed to something in that type of way and given in school you have a lot of structure of like mm -hmm. okay you're going to solve these problems in a creative way but it's very structured like you're driving towards a particular outcome that's usually known. And so in a laboratory setting where you're actually doing research on something that's completely unknown um, and having the freedom to be able to do that and then having to figure that out, uh, and then then you're being f you're forced actually through your own creativity figure out where you're strong, where you're weak to be able to work with others, leverage others, leverage equipment, whatever it happens to be for a common goal. Like that was the first time of exp like learning that. So whether or not superpower, I don't know, but... Um, well, it opens yeah. up new rounds, right? So mm -hmm. what did you do with that um, discovery, that understanding? I don't think I really did anything with it consciously until starting Stitch. So then mm -hmm. you'd have to fast forward probably eight years after okay. that. Okay, so let's hold that for a moment. Yeah. Do you want to share another pivotal moment? Oh yeah, the next one. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. Mm -hmm. I love I, um This is more of a story, I guess, of abundance. So I, I'm not particularly good with the word no or losing when I don't think the answer should be no or I should be losing. Just back uh, up. Yeah. Say that again. I didn't understand. Oh, uh, let me illustrate with this story. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll put it this way: like I'm, I'm, I'm not not athletic, but I'm not super athletic. So if we like played a game of basketball and you beat me, I wouldn't mind so much. But if we play a game where I'm pretty sure that I should have the chance of winning, probabilistic outcome, yeah, yeah, exactly. Winning, yeah. Then I, I, I am not very good at losing. I see. I would say so. Going to um, 
going all the way back to like I dicked around my freshman and sophomore year in college or first three semesters in college, um, my, my grades weren't that great. And mm -hmm. so my final five semesters in college, my grades were really good. And when I applied for grad school at Michigan, originally I was denied and that really sucked. Um, I worked for this professor, um, Yogesh Gyan Chandani was his name or pronounced something like that. And I remember walking to his office the day I got denied and uh, we were both like, ah, oh, damn it. Like, oh, thought we had a good chance, but didn't. And so what do most people do when they get denied? They apply elsewhere. Mm. What I did is I reached out to the professor and asked him if I could sit down with him a little bit. And so I scheduled an appointment with him. And it was like two weeks after that. Amir Mordazawi was his name. And I remember preparing all of this documentation before the meeting. And I was one of the only undergrads that had been published. I wasn't first author, but I was at least on like some publications. Um, very few interns at San Diego get invited back. I got invited back. My grades had gotten a lot better at the end. And I remember sitting down in the room with Amir and um, Professor Mordazawi and said, oh, hey, thank you for taking the time to meet with me. I know you signed my denial letter. I wanted to meet with you because I believe I deserve to be here and talk to you about it. And he responded point blank with, understand, but I don't think you do. And I was like, shit, <laughs> that's like a crappy thing to hear. And after going back and forth and back and forth over a 15, 20 minute conversation. So you were able to make your case. Exactly. Okay. I was hoping that he would say, I'll reconsider and get back to you. Mm -hmm. And at the end of all of that, he sat there totally silent, kind of rocking in his chair. And he looked at me and goes, well, you convinced me. And I go, what? He's like, you convinced me. I'm like, great, now what? And he goes, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. You'll get a new letter in the mail in a couple of days. And I got my acceptance letter. Mm -hmm. And then I sent him my grades every semester and um, had a really good experience in grad school in Michigan. And I love to tell that story or why it was such a defining moment in your life because there is a, like, don't get me wrong, like, there's, there's forces that you can't fully control mm -hmm. in the world, and mm -hmm. that's a reality. But for things that you really want, mm -hmm. like, there are ways to go after it mm -hmm. in a more, like, conscious or, like, I'd, I'd say the word aggressive, but I don't mean it, like, fighting aggressive, but I mean, like, you know, like, a lot more energy. Willpower. Yeah, willpower. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people discount it. And I love the example with the school because I'll talk to people that, oh, I didn't get into this med school or this MBA program. And it's like, did you go talk to the dean? Mm. He's like, no. I was like, why not? Mm. Like, I don't know. I never thought about that. Mm. And most people don't think like that. Mm. And it's, it's a really good example of a growth mindset. Mm. And I think if everybody thought like that, a lot more interesting things would get done. And I'm not saying I'm the shining example of it, but you ask about defining moments, and to me that was a time when, for all reasons, that should not have worked out, but it did. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. Who seeded the idea in your head that it's okay to ask, to make that request, make the case to the dean? Because as you said it earlier, most people don't. Mm -hmm. They don't have that concept of actually make the request yeah so like how did you acquire that and then then you took the action that you did I mean I I don't know entirely what I presume to be true is it goes all the way back to the childhood component mm -hmm. where if I go back to the story of my sister and I with my parents mm -hmm. is most people would have a custody battle go through court Mm. They would rule one way or the other, and that's that. Mm. We didn't have that journey. <laughs> uh, and so I think most things that I've known is that if you really want something, you figure out a way to get mm. it. 
Okay, so you were able to learn that from the darkness of both of your parents. They both wanted custody. Mm. Mm. So you were able to take that lesson with you. Mm. I think so. And like I said, I don't fully know, but I, as I have more and more conversations about the roots of our ideas and our behaviors, mm. I'm believing more and more that so much is shaped from when you're a kid. Mm. And so I think my perspective tends to be rooted in there was probably something that happened early on that was a learned behavior mm. and that is what led me to get there mm. and that's why I, I believe that to be true. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea uh, recently, actually I learned from Burning Man <clears throat> that parenting is essentially is you know, parenting is essentially transferring of knowledge, transferring of means from parents to kids. Mm. Oh, like from Annie's talk? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. So I love that. I was like, oh yeah, it's an interesting concept because it really simplifies everything. Yeah. Yeah. And when she, yeah, she talked about imprinting on children and then, um, what does she call a kid? Oh, a time capsule of mm. their, their parents, basically, right. and, and each parent. Whichever is, has <laughs> the best idea that wins and yeah. it's imprinted onto the, onto the yeah. child or, or children. Can so, I tell you a quick story yeah, on please. that? Really? Yeah, so I, I went to dinner with Eben and his husband a few weeks ago, oh. and he... W- They're local, right? Uh, they are nomadic nine months of the year. Mm. They're actually, their home base is in Florida. No kidding. Yeah, right. if I remember correctly. All right, hey, all right, cool. Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Had a dinner with a nomad. Great. Yeah, um, but we talked about a lot of things. There's one story that he left me with as we talked about like the parenting side that I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And because this notion of imprinting is, um, I think it's real. Mm-hmm. And him and Annie are so focused on the relationship that they have and the relationship with their daughter, Love. Love, you remember her name's Love? Mm -hmm. And what he said is one of the things that they do to um, be really conscious of what what the effect that could have on Love is that they have, um, they're both really opinionated. They get into a lot of, of conflict and fights. And mm-hmm. as Annie said, like, not bad. Like, what's great about conflict is it's a conscious choice by both parties to work through it once they mm-hmm. got to the other side. Mm-hmm. And so they don't fight it, they embrace it. Mm-hmm. But what they do is they recognize that their conflicts can have a negative impact on love. And so what Eben said is when they get into a fight, um, Whoever is the lesser triggered person will stop, for, if love is present, which they say she's present about half the time, they'll stop the fight, they'll look at love, and they'll say, hey love, mommy and daddy are in conflict right now, we need to work through it, it's not about you, we're perfectly okay, you're perfectly okay, mm. this is all out. natural, yeah, etc. do you have mm. any questions? Mm. Like, no, I'm good, okay, great. And then they go right back into battling, I or doing whatever that. they do. I like that is fucking mind-blowing right yeah yeah because I think of how much how much like a parent I think of how many times in my childhood that my sister and I were worried that like oh they're fighting they're gonna get divorced we're gonna be in trouble we're gonna yell at like all this stuff because our parents are doing something that they're working out on their own that we internalize as being Mm. because of us and that does a lot of like emotional damage or scarring and mm. creates a lot of fear internally. Mm. And so when you can just remove that and also introduce this notion that conflict can be a good thing and in mm. fact a, a great thing mm. because of that conscious choice of getting through it, it completely changes the relationship dynamic of what someone is growing up with. Mm. Yeah, Evans uh, and any are fascinating people. Yeah. To, 
actually interviewing them at some point uh, as well. That's that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I th- they have so much that I can learn. I think mm-hmm. so. I really I agree with your sentiments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so beautiful. Oh, right. So going back to your graduate school entrance, mm-hmm. here's a notion that I am kind of entertaining with. My mental mm-hmm. model is this: I love the yin and the yang sign. Right, the, the, there's the yin and the yang, there's a, a black and then a little bit of white, and there's white, a little bit of black, the yin and the yang. <clears throat> and the way I looked at it, yang is all about sovereignty. It's about willpower. Mm. It's about intentionality. It's about directionality, right? And yin is the flip side of that, the other side of the spectrum. It's about allowing. Mm. It's about, uh, you know, space. It's about flow naturalistic and the beautiful thing is not one or the other because it's the beautiful thing is actually find that middle ground and then find the harmonious place mm-hmm. for each individual right internally driven not externally externally driven so the person that I interviewed before you he's all about the yin from his point of view allowing naturalistic following mm. uh, love right and that's how she, actually how he runs his business, how he raises kids. Mm. Really interesting, which is totally con- contrary to how I was raised, <laughs> right? Chinese background, yeah. intentionality all the way, and all about preparation for the future, all about like driving, goal oriented, etc., etc. Now, not one is better than the other. Again, it's all about finding that middle ground, right? Yeah. Sovereignty and then allowing. How do you find that middle ground for you? Because in that example that you share, you control what you could have controlled, which is, hey, let me prepare for the case. You know, I spent well, weeks, look at all the papers, and you make your case in front of the professors, and you convinced it, mm-hmm. right? You change what most people thought was uncontrollable. <clears throat> but you can keep going that way, you know, more to that then it becomes pestering you, we I have met people who p- pesters people mm. because they think like it's all about drive 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 and then well you know it's, you, you, your qualification didn't warrant the entrance or whatever right mm-hmm. so anyway without digressing further how do you strive that middle ground of exerting your will and versus allowing or and allowing oh, it's so fucking hard man because <laughs> I, I believe that there is um, what's the word I'm looking for like a enlightenment in the middle mm. or, or Jennifer from our camp mm. she told um, Alicia and Shana and I this construct I think it's similar to what you just described in the yin and the yang of the she said, most people live in a world where it's truth or harmony. So meaning there are people that will prioritize truth regardless of how it affects others. It's important for them to get their truth in the world. There's other people that will prioritize an interaction, harmony, keeping everybody happy, but they'll sacrifice their own truth mm. in order to make that happen. And how do you live in a world that has both? Like, is it possible to actually have truth and harmony coexist? Right. And what I think Not is either really, or, but both. Exactly. And what I think is really interesting is just even like the symbol of the yin and the yang. And I don't know nearly as much about it as you do, but is that the symbol is, is drawn as one 
yeah, there's two parts of it, but it's drawn as one. And so if I go to this notion of truth and harmony, we're not talking about how do those two things like live side by side next to each other. It's actually more of a question of like how do they live together as one, and because they largely feel like opposing forces sometimes. And so I think there's a lot of things that are like this, but I but I think that being able to do that successfully is is yeah, it's really like a different state of enlightenment or or Zen. Um, the reason why I say it's really hard is that I'm finding in my own personal and professional development at an at a really important in, um, basically at a crossroads right now where historically I've been able to grow and run this business more by will, sheer mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people here that work extremely hard, more hours than me even, and I'm really lucky to have such a support structure here internally. However, my willpower, the ways that I communicate with people, etc., mm -hmm. they don't create that space and that learning for others, and so it like break down. Even if I intend to have a positive conversation with someone, it could break their morale, hurt their motivation, and then have a long-term systemic impact after mm -hmm. that. So, I don't know if this was exactly what you're getting at, but using this as an isolated example, there are the one of the questions that's being posed to me right now that I'm I not struggling with the idea, I love the idea, I'm struggling with the execution of it, mm -hmm. is have an interaction with someone and get the like energy outcome out of that interaction that you want from them and prioritize that. So meaning... Wait, back up. Say yeah. that again. I didn't understand what you just said. Uh, let's say you have an idea for something. Sure. And I want to optimize that it's going to be the idea that's going to make you, the company, most successful. Sure. Um, that's one thing that we need to prioritize. Mm -hmm. And we, we can get that outcome very functionally, rather, I don't want to say easily, but let's just say easily. Sure. Um, there's another part of it which is like, you're coming to me with an idea, you're motivated, you're excited, you're creative, mm -hmm. and I want you to leave more motivated, more excited, more mm -hmm. creative. Energetically speaking. Yes. Yeah. There are way, as an oversimplification, we can have the conversation that gets to the same outcome of a better idea mm. where I force that through sheer will mm. or I enable you and ex extract a greater degree of a growth mindset from you, make you more excited for another idea and perhaps even find something better as the outcome because we're able to work on it together. Mm. Same interaction, same outcome, completely different energy in terms of how you walk away. Mm. And because of how you walk away, and I'm fortunate to be pretty good at reading people, like I'll either feel great or feel like shit, depending on how you walk away. Mm. So I say that going back to like that yin and the yang is like, how does that change my own personal behavior? Instead of making statements, it forces me to ask questions. Implicitly with asking questions, it means you're letting more things come to you with information instead of inserting your mm. will or intention to mm -hmm. it. And so these things coexist in, in microseconds all the time and in every interaction that you have with people, verbal and nonverbal. And this is just one example. Like I think we can get a lot more meta in terms of what you're talking about with that. But I think of just like in the practical execution of a business, I'm struggling with that a lot because I think the coexistence of those two is what is ultimately the, the yin and the yang is, is what's ultimately the best. But the actual practical execution of doing that in the real world is challenging. Yeah, it takes this sermon. And I do believe a lot in intentionality, much more so every year, every month, I find myself believe more and more in the importance of it. Mm -hmm. But I don't think intentionality means necessarily being unwilling to look at other outcomes that may be presented to you. Mm -hmm. 
So how you make these two things coexist is a challenge, but a worthy pursuit, I think. Yeah, I agree as well. Does that make sense? It oh. does. Can we move that up just a little yeah. bit? It's rubbing against the other color. Oh. Yeah, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's challenging, but hence lies the um, beauty and the of the journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the the discovery of it. Yeah, how do you actually exercise that discernment? Uh, I I beckon. I, I I love the idea. So I saw a TED talk we, uh, a long time ago, and it was this guy. A master musician, a pianist, right? And then he was demonstrating how students learn piano. So in the beginning, they play piano very mechanically. Mm. And then they learn over time how to use these notes to express emotions, mm. right? Mm -hmm. The nuance of the emotions. Yeah. So now the, the, these notes become um, an extension of who they are okay. rather than just mechanical. So similarly, I think a learning process is we're learning new notes all the time. Mm -hmm. Whether it be emotionality or intentionality, or, or how do you actually hold space, right? Personally as well as for company. Yeah. <clears throat> so that way, the outcome is optimal. Maybe not maximum, maximal, but optimal. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a difference between maximum versus uh, optimal. Well, and I think local maximums are also different than long-term maximums, Correct. which may be what you're getting at. Right. Right. And. Almost every time I have said X thing was worth it and using the same terminology because it created a local maximum, I find myself at a disadvantage in the long term. Mm. And then you're having to do other things to build back like whatever clout or equity that you had with somebody in order to be able to get there. So it's more work in the long term. Mm. So you always have this balance of like, what do I really need to accomplish? Yeah at a local period of time. Optimal is an interesting word to put to it instead of maximum. Yeah. So part of my learning is uh, instead of exerting my will, the intentionality, do this thing and actually rip them of their own freedom and space and whatever creativity to come up with this other, perhaps even more optimum solution. I started to think about ways to curate the environment. Oh, oh, yeah. Can you tell me more about this? How do you curate environment? Uh huh. Um, I can only talk about it metaphorically rather than like specifically. Yeah. Because uh, I don't want to name names or whatever, <laughs> right? Uh, but I think it, what's interesting is using questions as an interesting tool to mm. kind of poke around the space. Mm -hmm. Oh, have you thought about this and that? And then just kind of guide them towards a particular way but yeah. from a non-judgmental way right. which is a very obvious like have you thought about that? <laughs> right yes like yeah, there's a way to ask you questions like an accusation uh -huh. right? uh, like a judgmental accusation <laughs> uh -huh. but, but as a way to if I see something right and it's yeah. just like oh it's a curious point of view have you thought about this and sometimes I will go to a different direction right mm. versus being attached to their particular uh, solution as an example yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We can talk a lot about uh, how you navigate this space. How, so, how do you take even just this construct of yeah um, sovereignty versus allowing to other relationships, perhaps mm. relationship with your wife, or relationship with investors, or relationship with I don't know whoever your your parents-in-law, whoever. Yeah, yeah. How do you take it to broader one of you the first word that comes to mind is very consciously because each one of those 
relationships, social dynamics are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And then certainly the ones that have to do with parents come with a different, and siblings come with a different level of, it's almost like emotional baggage compared to others. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have a, I guess like a values, priorities framework? As in, hey, I want my, as for using employee, employer mm-hmm. example, uh, I think that's a little easier. Mm-hmm. I want them to, to lead this conversation feel better than they were mm-hmm. as a primary value and or I want them to come up with the best solution that benefits not only them but the business as right. the primary value so that that's your your index mm-hmm. so that way you can optimize for that with every interaction and yep. then you do that with perhaps with your spouse or whoever that you interact with do you yep. consciously do that or that's more of a subconscious thing it used to just be a subconscious thing mm. uh, that's what it is. It blows my mind how much Burning Man and the chemistic experience, um, how transformational it was. Mm. Because since then, have been much more conscious. And what I found is that it wasn't so much a like a total novel idea to me. It was more taking things that I had believed for a long time and being with a group of people that had similar beliefs and a unique ability to articulate the feelings that came along with them. So it's, it's really only been, I would say, recently in my life that I've been as intentional about it. Mm. And, and I think each situation is, is, is really different uh, because the way that I communicate with my wife, the way that we problem solve, the barriers that we have to go through, the, what success is or what happiness is, is very different than it is in a business context, which is also different than the relationship I have with my parents, which is also different than the relationship I have with my sister Sarah, which is also, et cetera, et cetera. And so... I'm really more exploring right now what those different ways of interacting Mm -hmm. are. Um, There's a general themes though that I think exist. What's Um, that? One is actually like asking questions and listening. It's the, especially being someone who does have a lot of opinions and I think largely in my life, if I think of my feedback loops, if I even go to the example with the professor, where I have succeeded is when I inject my will. Mm, in the past in the past Mm. and there's still a lot of opportunity to do that but in succeeding when it's not just succeeding for Brandon but when it's succeeding for a group of people and a large group of people or like when Alicia and I talk about what we want out of our lives in the long term I don't want any and I don't just mean within the context of our company I'm talking about like lives as a whole like we both want to do something that impacts a lot of people Mm. I don't know what the number is but I know it's a lot Mm. and you may say well could it be a billion I say if it's a billion then it's more than that like choose a number it's more than that (laughs) like that's that's more of what the mindset is Mm. and so because of that it becomes less of a question of like how do I make this work for me Mm. and how do I make every single interaction one that creates a level of like energy growth, et cetera. Mm. And that I think is really, really interesting. And so it's like even in my longest relationships, which would say the ones with my dad, mm. um, when him and I talk now and I hear the challenges that he's going through or some of the successes, et cetera, just legitimately listening, like asking more questions instead of trying to give advice mm. is um, helpful. Mm. I feel like though it's kind of like, one step of the way there. Mm. I think there's a lot of additional components to that, but just in terms of a tactic to use to get there, I think that's that's a theme um, that exists across all groups. Mm. Thanks for that. Thanks for distilling that. 
mean, providing people with a non-judgmental space. Mm. Oh, I like that right. way of framing it. Yeah, yeah. That's 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 the place to start. Yeah. Versus just like trying to pile on tactics. Oh yeah, have you heard about this and that and some books or you know here's what you should do and yeah. Uh, that kind of crowds the space. It doesn't allow them to fully be heard as a human being. Totally, and I've become really interested in these uh, very specific phrasing of things. Like, uh, for example, even going back to the Eben and anything, it wasn't the I'm going to tell you a story. It was like, do you mind if I share a story? Mm-hmm. It's the like legitimately putting choice on the other person creates a completely different dynamic in any conversation, whether it's one on one or many. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I'm really interested in when people say like, I invite you to do X. In the same way that you said with the tobacco, you're like, I invite you to do X. It's a very specific way of framing something mm-hmm. that creates a bond between us because we both feel like we're opting into it rather than you doing something or bringing something to me but to speak like that all the time and and I think especially for me there is no luxury of of mistakes are big mm-hmm. and they compound and they get bigger so the need to continue to get better faster is there and the desire is there so every single one of these little interactions there's always a way to get more out of them mm-hmm. and i don't mean mean more in a selfish way it's like in a collective community no, i got you yeah yeah and then especially as a company leader you know you run your own business um it's easier it's simpler it's faster yeah to exert your will it's also you exercise your authority to do something and people do it faster but that's what's interesting in the marriage, and I don't know what your marriage is like, mm. but you can't, oh, I shouldn't say you can't, you shouldn't, I would assert, mm. do it the same way in a marriage. Mm. And so it's this really interesting thing of an equalization. Mm. Same thing with my relationship with my sister, Sarah. Mm. Mm. And so in that realm, it's like, how do you still, like, how do you still, get, like, create something great, mm. but that, that tool that is so natural is no longer useful. <laughs> Yeah, no, I trust me. I, I this, this mental model. <laughs> yeah, I relate. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, fundamentally, it's human yeah. being, right? Uh-huh. Um, and this is a human question. This is not a company or husband or you know brother question. This is like, how do you use the tools from the ego, mm-hmm. and at the same time, tools of the I don't know what you call it, the. Um, spirit human relations or whatever you call it to to really foster this optimal outcome mm-hmm. right so that one that everyone chooses let me share a funny story well maybe not so it's funny in hindsight yeah so uh you know my last company uh as the head of culture so one of the things that we did we create these cultural programs to really reinforce some of the values that we have and the co-founder and I, we know that's going to do great for the people who participate. So we basically made it opt-out instead of opt-in. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because we learn from some of the TED Talks, if you, opt, if you do opt-out, it, it, it removes people from the convenience of or, or the effort of opting in. It mm-hmm. requires more effort to opt-in. Right, mm. versus just like, hey, I don't want it out, let me opt out. Like, because then they don't need to make an effort. Okay. Right? <clears throat> so we basically bestowed this, these programs on them <laughs> to the employees. And then uh, guess what happened? So what happened was uh, there was a huge uproar of 
<laughs> that we're bestow that, that we we're, we're 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 imposing our values on yeah. them. There was a huge resistance of the people who because human ego, human beings don't like to be told what to do. Yeah. I mean they feel judged that we are imposing our values on their values so, so even though net net is good for them, it's exercise program is an example or a nutritional program is an example. Mm -hmm. Right. We just created these challenges and then everyone is in and then so that for the people that didn't feel secure about perhaps their physicality or their fitness level they just felt judged and there was they would start to hide like cookies and snacks you know in some pile oh actually no in a very public way as a big fu to <laughs> to the effort that we're trying to do uh -huh. right as a, as a case in point of yeah. Um, when you when you impose something instead of opting, inviting people to opt in, that's that's naturally what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So. Cool, man. So let me ask you a follow-up question. So regarding, actually, you know what? I think now it would be a good time to try a little hoppy. Are you up for that? All right. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I'll explain to you how this works. Yeah. So this is what hunters use in Amazon before they go on to a hunt. Whoa. Yeah, it is a very physical uh, mm. experience. Uh, very much like what happens after you do a CrossFit workout, a hard workout. You know how it's you're physically spent, yeah. but then your mind's clear. Okay. For a brief moment. Yeah. Right. So I invite you to um, perhaps set an intention to use that silence for something that's useful in your life. Okay. Got it. Because I don't want you to do it just for the sake of discomfort, right? <laughs> for, for novelty. So the way to do it, I'll, share it, I'll, I'll show you how to do it. Uh -huh. And then we'll wipe it clean so you can do it yourself. So the way to do it is this. Put a little bit on your palm, right? This is about, this is a good amount. It's gonna give you some experience without you really become lightheaded or become dysfunctional, uh -huh. right? So what you do is you put this in your pipe and then put it in your nostril and then blow. Blow? Right, so the, so the powder doesn't go into your nostril. Oh, you blow their mouth. And right, then, right. Oh, that's weird. Close your eyes and then, then you breathe through your mouth. You Normally, you do two nostrils. So I'll be ready for you if you want to partake in the second nostril too. So you, so, so I'm gonna, I, I don't think I've ever experienced it. I'm going to blow out and it's going to push it into Correct. my nose. So take a deep breath. Set up. And then... Whoa. That is not great. <laughs> <laughs> breathe through your mouth. Whew. Breathe. Breathe. Feels like I got water in my nose. <laughs> Except much more intense than that. Breathe. Yeah. Just in a sec. <laughs> Can you use that? What's that? Whatever you gotta do to. Mm. You need to blow your nose. Anything. It's up to you. Is it important to do both sides, or you don't have to? Mm. Conventionally, people do both sides. Hmm. You don't have to. Wow, that's intense. It's like a tingling though in my face. 
<laughs> Why do you do this? The, not the podcast. Why do you do the tobacco portion as part of this? The podcast? Mm-hmm, as part of the podcast, yeah. Um, changes the energy. Ah, okay. Also, novel experiences yeah. for the podcasters. Oh. Guests. Yeah. Right? Hmm. This is not usual. <laughs> no. All these new things in my nose. Yeah. Never experienced this. You can blow it out, actually. Most, you know, most people blow it out. Oh. I, I blow it out. You don't have to do something else. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It's like the, oh. Oh, that feels better. <laughs> Thanks. You All right. Okay. You on the other side? I mean, I, ca- I kind of don't. Okay. But I'm curious. So, like, my curiosity is beating my not wanting to. So, yes. Okay. <laughs> Great. Warrior spirit. Is that the same amount as the first side? A little bit more. <laughs> okay. Slightly more. Not too much more. Just mm. slightly more. How come you don't do this one? I will do it after you do it. Oh, really? Because <laughs> I only have one pipe. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Wow. Just take a moment. Breathe. Breathe, oh. breathe, 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 breathe. That's so intense. Body high that I is foreign to me. Oof. <laughs> yeah, you're much more at peace when you take it. Are you supposed to have that feeling in your body? Wow. Yeah, I've never experienced something like that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So change the subject a little bit. Uh-huh. Well, actually, before we go do that, um, mm. how was that experience? Unique. <laughs> uh, it did not feel good to do it. Like the mm-hmm. feeling it in the after effect is really interesting. Mm. I'm, I'm having a hard time associating why I would do that right before I would go on a hunt or something. Mm. Well, you're more, oh, I'm sorry. You're more in your body. 
Excuse me? You're more in your body. Oh, so I'm more aware of my body? Your awareness is higher. Because uh, there's the, like, because it makes you a little bit woozy. For a short amount. Oh, I see. Okay, so you're, for a short amount of time, your head's kind of in a woozy state, and then, but your awareness of your body for what you're about to do mm. should be better, so you'll be better with tactile functions, you'll... And also mental clarity. Oh. Mm, excuse me. Okay. okay. Yeah. Hence the reason why do we do this. So on that note, let me ask you the question about that. What's your uh, thought about adversity? Especially about being grounded, this man, as an example. Adversity? Adversity. I go back to a comment I made before. I think that there's a lot of beauty in the struggle. Mm. So I tend to embrace it. I think it's a, it's a, I don't know, when I think of adversity, I think of like a challenge or a disagreement, um, less like fighting for the sake of fighting, like adversity, there's, there's, there's something that needs to be worked through. Mm -hmm. um, so I wouldn't say like, I love it, but I, I enjoy it because it means there's a problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm misinterpreting the word adversity, but I tend to think of it as a, usually a good thing that most people don't want to have, but it's probably the right thing to have. Mm. And that actually answers your question why we do this. Because mm. in my mind, um, Buddhism's philosophy is life is suffering, right? Mm. Pain is inevitable. Yeah. Of going through this human experience mm -hmm. of a breakup or not having something you want or have physical pain or whatever. Right? All these things that actually having gone through the childhood that you've gone through, painful, right? But yeah. how can we uh, use these practices, the ice bath or the holotropic breath or hape or things like that, as a way to practice being in an adverse state, mm. exercise. It's not fun, for me anyway, I can, I can speak for you. For mm -hmm. me, it's, 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 it's never fun to exercise. Mm -hmm. But well, the result I get is I'm exerting my will to increase my capacity physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually mm. to ready myself for more uh, circumstances to come, yeah. as an example. Right. Yeah. I don't. I was listening to one of your other podcasts, and I, there was a. Uh, I don't remember which one, but there was a conversation similar along these lines, and I don't remember this being stated. But I remember what I was thinking at the time. I'm thinking the same thing now, which is the pain, physical, emotional, etc. Uh, it's a feedback loop. Mm. So it's like without it, how, how do you know what's going on? <laughs> and I'm not saying pain has to be the only feedback loop. It's definitely not. Mm. But the it it's a it's a powerful one. So my question is like why I like adversity or notional, I guess, pain is less the enjoyment of experiencing it, but it's more there's this like craft of, if you have this feedback loop of pain, mm -hmm. what are the ways that you can 
experience it for a shorter amount of time? Like, can I, can I have that happen a lot in short bursts, mm. but very frequent? Because it means that my feedback loops are, are very fast and getting better mm. all the time. Mm. Versus if you just are hit with a big hit with a big thing or experiencing yeah. the same one over and over and mm. over again, mm. it's not particularly enjoyable because it's you're not growing from it. You're yeah. just and a never-ending cycle. Yeah. There's a word, I can't remember how it goes. Essentially a body. Have you ever read the book Antiphydro? No, I'm familiar with the concept, but I haven't read the book. Yeah, human beings are very much anti-fragile. Mm -hmm. And how we grow is from all the different kinds of adversity that we come through. So I'm actually curious. Let's actually get tactical here. How do you, Brandon, you know, have that fast feedback loop so you can continue to grow mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually to ready yourself for this, this ambition, this, in this intention, this desire to make a difference for uh, a billion people plus. Mm. I think it's a really timely question. Um, it's actually, the, my answer is related to a statement that I mentioned before, which is this, you know, transition from what's going to serve me to like what's going to serve the group, the community, et cetera. Because mm. there are different, you need different feedback loops to serve those well. Mm. So for me, when you, when I think about that, <coughs> um, as an individual, it's like I would say, if as long as you're self-aware and or care about data, whatever you want to think of, whether it's quantitative data, qualitative, whatever it happens to be, um, it's pretty easy to like quickly interpret that because you're you're generating the action that is going to create the feedback that you can then internalize, physical or. I checked out for one second. Hmm. Backtrack one sentence, please. The. As an individual, to create a feedback loop, like where if I'm if if I'm going to work on something of my own and I'm going to, like if it's a physical thing, I'm doing a physical workout. Like I can feel the physical stress, the physical pain that I have in my body. If I'm going to work on an intellectual problem that's more self-contained in my own, I can feel myself as long as I'm self-aware enough. I can feel myself getting into struggle or finding myself where I'm hitting a wall mm. and internalize that to figure out like how I can get better there mm. so this may sound like a cop-out but I think for like largely individual feedback loops um, as long as I can rely on my self-awareness and, and constantly like, hone my self-awareness then the feedback loops are somewhat organic they're almost like by design they exist mm. Systems feedback loops are really, really different. I'm finding, mm. um, and I don't think I always had the perspective of an individual feedback loop. Um, I just think where I'm at now in my own evolution is um, so much more. Of my feedback loops are reliant on the system, less like the individual, and that is really, really hard. Um, so where I'm really interested, going back to the, like, your very first question on like intention or what is my first intention and this notion of like what does it mean to be a man or just like what does it mean to be us in, in this new age, there's a lot of really interesting questions where like let's just put myself in the role, I'll talk about two roles, like one as a CEO, one as a husband. Okay. So as a CEO, like what, what feedback loops do, do I get? I have many feedback loops like empirically based on the performance of the business, that's fine. But in terms of like my own personal growth or how do we grow as a company, I'm very much dependent on each individual to be able to give me and each other feedback 
behaviorally about what we need to do to improve to get better, et cetera. Mm. And to create that system has to be extremely intentional. To actually create a safe space where people feel like they can share those feelings, sentiments, et cetera. Mm. That's something that is, I think, very human, but it's not something that humans innately feel comfortable with because there's a lot of fear in upsetting someone, there's a lot right. of fear of saying it wrong, et cetera. So the actual, to actually construct that in a professional environment, and I, and I use the word deliberately because I do think you have to construct it. Mm. You have to be very intentional about all of the building blocks, how you bring in a new person, how that changes the dynamics of the group, how you make sure that that new person understands the constructs in which people need to be able to do that such that you can keep this fast iteration. Mm. And then similarly within a marriage, I mean, one of the big things that Alicia and I learned um, one of the big revelations that we had like from the Burning Man experience is how unintentional we were when we got married. And mm. in, in I would, uh, the way I describe it to people is that if, if you would have asked the two of us, hey, do you work on your relationship? Do you work on yourselves? Before, I would have said yes. And if I think from a sports perspective, <laughs> if I think in a sports perspective, I would have said, oh, we're playing like college level ball. Mm. In hindsight, I think we we're playing Little League. Mm. And now we're like working up to playing college and some pro. pro. And so... The question is like, oh, well, didn't you guys talk about having kids? Didn't you talk about what you wanted? Like, yeah, we talked about those things. But did we really internalize it? Did we really make the commitment that we needed to make to each other such that we can be on a different plane and how we can communicate with each other, how we can engage in a conflict because we trust in the foundation of the relationship that we're building or this shared context? We didn't have that before. Mm -hmm. And so that's also something that has to be very intentional. Is like, how do you actually build a foundation within our marriage where we see each other and talk to each other every single day that creates a space where we can actually share openly to work on a particular problem or to have that rapid feedback loop and trust mm -hmm. that the other person is going to hear it and grow and change from it. Mm -hmm. And that's something that also has to be really intentional. So I guess like in, in summary, and I don't think I'm being as clear, maybe it's because of the tobacco or whatnot as it in my head versus what I'm saying is that when I, going back to your question as I remember it is that like individually just self-contained, my feedback loops are almost entirely dependent on self-awareness. Yeah. Feedback loops with any group, professional, personal, love, whatnot, all have to be, I think, very intentional and constructed in a way that continues that ability to have those feedback loops with all of the other external pressures that come from social and relationship constructs that exist in the world. Yeah. So let's actually unpack that, focus on the professional for a little bit. I think, well, I may actually backtrack just a little bit. Confucius said self-mastery first, then his family, mm -hmm. and then country, then the world. It's very fractal, mm -hmm. right? And I, in hindsight, I didn't appreciate it when I first heard it, but now that I'm a little bit older, I'm like, oh yeah, it's very beautifully said. Mm -hmm. So um, let's talk a little bit about like I want to make sure that whatever we say is, is conceptual so mm -hmm. people can actually learn something or, or uh, emulate you know, some of the practices or disciplines that you do yep how do you guys you and Alicia as an example right we talked a little bit about self how do you actually let's start from the self and we can expand to you know come you know, to relationship in the company level how do you ensure that your awareness is more and more acute how you raise your own awareness level? Yeah, that's a really tactically great, speaking great question. So this is, a, I think, where the my statements that I said before break down. Mm. I think largely by 
feedback loops from other people. Mm. To give you a specific example, um, recently one of our investors, they do, um, like he gets all of the CEOs of all his portfolio companies together once a year. And this year they changed the format where we all did, uh, we, we got 360 feedback from a bunch of different groups. Mm. And something that was very interesting in my feedback is even though largely I would consider myself a very self-aware person and from the feedback I received, I think other people also perceive that I am. Mm. One of my most negative critical pieces of feedback mm. was that I don't, um, I don't understand the impact of the things that I say much of the time and the way that I say it. Mm. So it's like I may be self-aware of myself, but I'm not self-aware of the impact that I'm having on others or I think I'm having an impact that's very different than the impact that, mm. I, that is actually happening. Mm. And so the only way for me to know that is to get the feedback from other people so that I can actually be more self-aware about the things that I have blind spots about. Mm. Thank you. What about in the relationships? What kind of disciplines do you, um, well, actually, no, go back to that. So, well, that's externally given, mm -hmm. right? So quarterly, I'm assuming, quarterly, they give you this 360 review feedback from other CEOs and whatnot. Um, do you have a personal practice to seek out feedback from your counsel, your personal counsel? Oh Absolutely. yeah, and to be th that that was just like one example of something that happens once a year. Mm -hmm. This is where I have a coach that I work with every single week. Mm. Um, as we think about hiring executives in the company, mm. I have to level up the type of people that work with that are willing to like they're not intimidated by me, so they're mm. willing to give me the feedback that I need to hear. Mm. Um, there are many things that I think you need to engineer around me to make it something that's happening not on a quarterly or annual basis, but it has to be immediate. Yeah, gotcha. What about uh, in terms of family, what kind of disciplines do you have such that you and your wife have iteration quickly? Yeah, I would say we're, we're really novices at this right now. Mm -hmm. So for us, um, I think the biggest one is actually engaging in conflict. So it used to be a lot of, if I was frustrated about something or Alicia was frustrated about something, we would talk about it. We, we kind of like scratch the surface of it and then she would kind of do her own thing and I would do my own thing and we'd go to sleep at night and maybe we'd readdress it. But, but it was always like scratching at the surface of it. Mm. Um, and so that was an easy way to run from a particular problem. Mm. <clears throat> and so this is, is actually more of a, when we find ourselves in that moment, just engage. Mm. And it doesn't mean we're yelling at each other or something. Like sure. we rarely do that. It's, it's just truly like engage in the conversation. As a specific example, so I'm much more of an extrovert, Alicia's much more of an introvert, mm -hmm. and as much as she loved and was excited about everybody from Burning Man, the decompression party that was planned was two weeks afterwards, and that Thursday the week before, like she really didn't want to go, mm. um, and I really did, and that, and like I didn't, I didn't think we should go alone, <laughs> mm. and um, amongst other things, and so, there was a lot of a lot of frustration that was built up in that mm -hmm. in that moment, 
And so instead of basically, like what would have happened in the past is we would have gotten to a frustrated argument about it. Um, Alicia probably would have said, okay, I'll go because you want to go and, and then it'll be what it is, mm. is we engaged more in the conversation of like, where is this coming from? And mm. what are our goals? Like, what are we looking to accomplish? And we had realized that like, for me, there was a lot about me trusting being my true self for Alicia. It was a lot of, um, being present in moments and um, hmm. uh, a few other things. And so when we broke it down instead of the emotional fears and actually engaged in the conversation to what are we really trying to get out of life right now and hmm. how is it gonna make us better, we realized, okay, this was actually a great opportunity for us to both benefit hmm. uh, for what we want individually and our relationship and then therefore we should be excited about doing it. Hmm. And, and what was amazing is the outcome of that argument, this was on a Thursday night, um, and the decompression started on Saturday, is that then, I don't know, there was just like a lot of love. Like we were like really excited and happy and she had expressed how she went from being like really low and upset to um, just happy. And mm. I don't mean about the party that was coming, just like happy yeah. as an emotion. Mm. And, and that provided an amazing, like an amazing feedback loop of like, take a half an hour, be really present, engage in this particular conversation instead of yeah. wipe it off. It was and a mini transformational experience. Yeah, and so I think going to the point from before of like always having to be on or it's this, 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 this like never ending or constant pursuit is I think those kinds of things are presented constantly. Mm. And the question is much more how do you engage in them in each particular moment? Because it does take energy. But every time you do it, or every time we do it, I should say, it's very positive. And so going back to your question of like, how do we do it, is it, it goes back to like, the, it's more like conscious engagement. Hmm. Well, I can't remember exactly how it's said, but um, pick your battles, actually. That's the normal um, hmm. wisdom that's been shared around, you right. know, especially around relationships. Because there's infinite number of things one can pick. Mm -hmm. Hey, you didn't, you know, you squeezed the toothpaste as an example, right? That's a right. common thing. Uh -huh. Bless you. Or the toilet seat, whatever, like something mundane like that yeah. versus, I don't know, um, you know, the future of a relationship. It's something a little bit more meaningful, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you pick and choose? Which, which one's more meaningful versus which one is more mundane? I mean, they're all related. There's a through line here mm -hmm. about the, the sovereignty versus the allowing, right? There's always that dance so yeah. how do you pick your battle oh you're asking me i'm asking you oh, oh. i don't know but i don't think i agree with this like pick your battle okay go to the toothpaste one mm. like if you're getting to the point i believe at least you're getting to the point of arguing about the toothpaste like it's not about the toothpaste. Mm -hmm. It's never about the toothpaste. It's never about the toothpaste. It's really so there's probably like a whole bunch of battles that you For chose sure. not to engage in mm. that led to, you know, this little tiny simple thing creating a massive explosion. Mm. So like, um, yeah, it's just it's very very negative. Mm. So I don't, I don't want to imply that you should always be engaging in conflict and everything is conflict. But I think that there's. I think you, I think, let's, I don't know if this is true for Alicia and I, but I think it's largely true is there was a backlog that got built up. Mm. And so we worked through it. And as you work through it, a few new things get added to the backlog. But eventually you get to a point where you're like, oh, we're kind of in this, like we've got 
through this bad stuff mm -hmm. or growth stuff, whatever, now we can actually focus more on like the future mm. and and what it means to grow in the future and then and then engaging in that kind of a conversation or a conflict around that or, or happy planning, whatever, mm. that's really exciting and really fun. So I don't know if I agree with this notion of pick your bet. I think that's like an old way of thinking about a relationship sure. and making shitty trade-offs. <laughs> I think it's like, I think it's, well, no, because it's like, you don't want to, you don't want to get to the point of saying, you know, Brandon has his thing, Alicia's got her thing, and that's an even trade, so we're mm. okay with Quip it. Quo quo. Yeah, exactly. Mm. I, I, I don't think you reach an elevated state by doing that. Mm. I think you reach a state of contentment. Right. And state of uh, mediocre compromise. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not to say that compromise is necessarily a bad thing, mm. but I think you can strive for something better, and mm. it may mean that it's a emotionally daunting task to engage in whatever that backlog is, but it's worth it if you care about um, what the relationship can be. Mm. And I use those words very specifically. Like I, I, I didn't say if you care about the relationship, because the relationship is just the connection between the two people. Like what that relationship can become, like what that shared context is, that's something that's much bigger than the relationship itself. Mm. And so, I don't know how you get there without engaging and being willing to accept the fact that maybe you've made too many mistakes. Like for us, mm. we made too many mistakes over too long of a period of time. We had a backlog. We're still working through that backlog. But as we do it, every stage after that is materially better than the previous one. Mm. So recently I had a few deaths in my life. Uh, a coworker who I knew in the last company and also my PhD advisor passed. Mm. And death is, uh, to me, a great reminder of how short this yeah. life it really is. Like we're really on this planet for, you know, blink of an eye. So from that perspective, um, that to me is a, always a good reminder how uh, every moment, every shared moment is precious, especially mm -hmm. with my spouse as an example. Mm -hmm. So, and it's a great equalizer. Like, hey, do I really want to spend this life arguing about toothpaste or this you know, extraordinary life that you know, we wanted to share together. Mm -hmm. So that to me is a, it's a good mental model, right? As a way to like, do I want to engage in you know, something that matter or you know, some trivial things that I probably won't remember, I don't know, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, 10 years from now. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think let's go back to the yin and the, I apologize, I'm not as familiar with it. Which, which one is, is it yin or yang that's more on the intentional side versus what's? The yang. Yang, yeah. Yeah, so I think of the, um, okay, let's just say, um, whether it's true or not, let's just make it a truth for this moment. Yeah, that use that as a mental model. Yeah, on yeah. The, that doing, like being able to think more in the yin state will, ultimately lead to better results because you're, you're able to see more of the world mm. that's around you and you're and therefore you're able to choose you have a greater degree of, of choice of what can create the best outcome mm. make you the best version of yourself so like okay if we're blocked at getting there and we'll go instead of the toothpaste example alicia and i both are terrible people when we're hungry <laughs> we're just we're just bad <laughs> like thank you for sharing yeah, yeah, like, free. oh my gosh yeah yeah, yeah. and it's just really, like, last night was a really great example of it. We, we left work, we went to yoga, it was great, we left yoga, we're really hungry, and we go home and we had this 
brilliant, horrible idea that like, oh, maybe we could like run this quick errand, and then oh my god, over the next half hour, I just got so angry, uh, and it was angry. Really, oh my god, it was really not a good moment in our relationship last night from like eight forty-five to like nine fifteen p.m. Mm. So how does this all relate? Well, if we realize that we love living in this yin state. Mm. So yin, sorry, I forgot again. Yin is not the uh, is the acceptance of mm-hmm. the, yeah, and, the, and and we want to be there uh, in many circumstances. What we need to do is be extremely intentional about what are the things that are blocking us, mm. and and the being hungry makes us angry. It makes us worse people to be around. We're not mm. good at communicating with each other. We're very one track minded, etc. So just as simple as it sounds, being very intentional about making sure that we are properly nourished at the right times and accountability buddies, because like Alicia will get hungry and then she won't want to eat and then I'll try to give her food and she'll say, stop trying to feed me. And mm-hmm. it's like, but mm-hmm. if we have this agreement that we both get to be accountability buddies with each other mm-hmm. and look out for each other and make sure that each person is well nourished, we have to be very yang and very well nourished in that mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it allows us to then experience the other components of life around mm-hmm. us because we're more open to it. And so I just think about that, that like, some people may say, oh, you can't sweat the small, st- like, you gotta sweat the small stuff or whatever. Um, and I would say, yes, like, don't micromanage somebody else's life. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, it, every little thing is something that could get in the way of you becoming better. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to be really conscious about what those things are and very intentional about how you design your life to enable you to achieve an enlightened state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, removing the friction points. Anticipate the friction points mm-hmm. and then prepare for the friction points, and, and hopefully on both sides. But for the for the person or both, perhaps actually saw the friction point in advance, mm-hmm. have snack bars around or whatever, so that you're always ready, right? For yeah. the, for uh, you know, random things that happen. Yeah, absolutely. And then this is where it all gets to like, what's the mindset or frame of reference? It's one thing to say, always have snack bars around because, man, when you don't, you get really hangry and you're really unpleasant to be around. That is a fact. It's a motivator for making it better. Nobody likes to be around people when they're angry. Uh, but it's not particularly inspirational. Mm. There's a whole other way of saying it is, we're both committed to being the best version of ourselves. In order to be the best version of ourselves, we have to think clearly we have to be able to we we need to be articulate with our words we need to show love and all the interactions that we have we need to create a growth mindset when we speak to others that don't have it what's blocking us from do that Mm. doing that and there's 25 things one of those things is is for me and for her at least is just actually eating yeah for sure i can relate to that thank you for sharing (laughs) that it's very very human right being hangry on the company side of things um Everything you talked about essentially is about uh, curating or having a cultural operating system, right? Mm-hmm. You know, where you're clear about um, how you guys do things as an organization, right? So, um, from that perspective, how do you make sure that you curate that? Do you make a manifesto where everything is as black and white as possible about how y- you? run the organization, how everyone, right, mm-hmm. the, the optimal behavior, right, in your organization, such that when you uh, hire for it, you can just show them this. If mm-hmm. you're aligned with this, great. You, yeah. sh- you belong. If you don't, then you're not going to be happy here. How do you guys do it? Concretize ways we're, to... Yeah, we're going through a re... like, we're rebuilding all of that within mm-hmm. Sitch today. Little historical background is the company was growing really great 2014, 2015. 
any shit that could hit the fan in the beginning part of 2016 did. We basically had to tear it down, rebuild up. So we went through a really hard time, and during that time, how big, uh, uh, how many people were at the time, 2016 roughly? Oh, uh, a little above 80, mm. and then we basically cut it in half. Mm. Mm. And so during that time, for better or for worse, I stopped being a steward over the culture of the company. So going back to your, I give you that background to go to your question of we're we're in a time right now where we're rethinking our values, we're creating our first set of cultural norms. We're, we're rethinking the entire way that we work together. And so um, while a manifesto, as an example, I think is a really interesting idea and it's an important starting point, um, at least what we believe is that um, I think you got to start from a point of, of a vision that people can get excited about. Mm. And the one that we are, or that I, I believe in, is this... Um, we should take a real responsibility and each individual should take a real responsibility in becoming the best version of themselves. Mm. And this is very much something that's a long-term commitment. It's not something like be the best version of you at Stitch. This is more of like be the best version of yourself at life where Stitch is a very important component of that. Mm-hmm. And so if we start from that point, the kind of people that are willing to work to become better every single day, mm. um, to some extent self-select in. Mm. And so from there, we're able to then pare down a little bit of thinking about more of our company mission, but also like foundationally, what are the values that need to exist? And structurally, what are the norms that need to exist that enable us to have this, this like exist at the company? And I think all of that has to be written down and all of that has to have an incredible amount of buy-in from everybody here. Mm-hmm. And then you also have to create systems such that every new person you introduce comes in, sheds whatever stuff they came in with to accept whatever this new way of doing things Mm -hmm. are. It's very common if we hire an executive for me to get challenged on levels of transparency. In my past companies, we would never share X information. And when you're early in your career, it's easy to say, well, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe we shouldn't share. It's a different thing to say, no, like with who we are, this is how we share information. This is what we communicate. Mm -hmm. As every person here, this is what you should expect to know. And it changes the way that we then train people or talk to people about this is how you need to think about managing or this is, yeah, this is like fundamentally how you need to work with each person on your team. Mm-hmm. So we're very much at the early stages of reshaping this, mm-hmm. but I think that it's something that is an incredible amount of work. It's something where it's got to be written down and it does encompass a vision, a mission, a set of values, norms, mm-hmm. and then a an entire way of thinking about how you bring people in, what they're development is at Stitch, and then how you exit people out. Mm. That whole process needs to be extremely thought through and intentional, and it's something that will take a very long time to do. Mm. Um, I think the last thing that I want to say to it is on the buy-in side, what we're doing uh, as a concrete example is we're reshaping our values. In doing this, what we did is created a committee of seven people who I consider ourselves editors and I'm the editor-in-chief of creating these new values. Mm. But the way in which we gather all of the data to create the new values is through a series of creative exercises with the whole company, with our board and investors, and to some extent with our customers. And so we do that so that we get the data and information from everyone so that they feel bought into the process. Mm. And then we communicate that story to new people, or my intention at least is to communicate that story to new people as they come in so that they understand that the roots were not just created from a mountain. It wasn't Moses with two tablets that came down from Mount Sinai, but rather it was something that was created from the whole. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. I know that we are running a little bit short on time. Would you like to experience Sananga still? A what? Sananga for your eye dro- for your eyes. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just a great response. 
<laughs> so we have a gentle sananga versus a more intense sananga. Oh. It's it's for your nose, that, that experience, but for your eyes now. Oh. Does it, does it make your eyes red and stuff like that? For two minutes. Hmm. I if I, do, I like the gentle one of on this one, that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> totally, of course. <laughs> I'm not great well, with high straps. I want to give you a full experience. Yeah. Um, so how do we bring this to a close? Yes. Um, so close your eyes. Close eyes. Well, close your eyes so I can administer it. So mm -hmm. lean back as far as you can. Close your eyes. Close us a little bit more if you can. I'm gonna put it on your to your eyes. And then let it go around. Oh, oh. It, didn't, it didn't go in. Uh, it definitely went in. <laughs> ah! Fuck. That's the gentle one? Oh, thank you. That's the gentle one? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I didn't get the whole thing in my eye. But woof. Okay, now it's calming down really fast. And then breathe through your mouth still. Eye drops to calm down. Mm. I have eye drops for you too, if you like. How was that? Fine, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> this one is different. I just feel like a small burning sensation in my eyes. Mm. What about internal state? I don't notice that much of a difference. The first one and this one, I didn't notice much of a difference internal. The second one, a lot. Mm. Maybe next time we do the more intense one. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Um, so your intention in the world, your life purpose, from what I can gather, is really making a ma massive impact. For you. To a billion people think bigger, perhaps. So how do you take everything that you share so far? And the people they touch within the companies, the uh, we talked a little bit about marketing and how you use these tools to you know support brands that does provide great products and, and their mission and all these other things, and then ultimately lead to making an impact to a billion people plus. And can we can I think a little bit more forward-looking statement? Like, how do you bring all of this, everything that we talked about, continue to head towards the way of making that kind of impact that you wanted to make in your lifetime? What I believe today is the, <coughs> the specific thing that we do as a company is a less important. It's more of a medium to mm -hmm. be able to have an impact. I am <coughs> I'm very focused on the best self mindset. Mm. I, I'm very focused on er, and very much believe that if you can get the most out of everyone, if you can really, really enable people to believe that they're getting better every single, because they, they genuinely are, not just because you're creating a veil around it, 
I don't know what the foundation or what the medium is exactly to get there, but I think that that mindset and being just have a relentless pursuit towards that mm. is what will enable us to get there. Mm. So tactically though, so someone who is listening to this, who is inspired by your narrative, they have a company, they have employees, they're very much <coughs> on the same boat, right? In this ethos, this mm -hmm. path, this warrior's path. Mm -hmm. What is something that they can tactically perhaps try on? Something that you're thinking about trying on, as an example, that they can, you know, go towards the same path. Like a tactic that they can do? Yeah, something tactical. Something that I'm, I've started doing and I'm really loving is, may sound very simple, it's just every single day, right when you wake up, before you look at your phone, before you do anything else, is consciously set an intention without, like, without excuse. You just, mm. every single day. And you just... You Any just intention or... There's just intention towards this mm. life life purpose that you're talking about. No, a specific intention that you believe is the necessary step now mm. to help you get to whatever the next step is. So for me, my intention, what has been, I have two, uh, well, one that builds on the other, but it's been the same for the past three months, and then I've added a new one as of three or four weeks ago. But it's like, for me, I need that constant reminder every single day. It's like that kind of the drum beat. Um, mm. And it's because it's, I think it's really, <coughs> it's really easy in the day to day to get pulled into many different directions and different things that mm. block you. Mm. And so I think you have whatever time it is that you wake up in the morning, you have to start very, very consciously choosing it. And yeah, it's not something that should dither left and right every single day. It's, it's truly like be very conscious about what is this next step that you need to do to get there mm. and be very intentional every day when you start your day that you're going to make some progress towards what that is. Mm. I guess you could say it's rather goal-oriented, but I, I don't think of it as just like a goal. It, it's a little bit more of an energy. Mm. Hey, Brendan, thank you so much for sharing oh. everything you share. You know, we went a lot to a lot of different spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, relationships, personal self-mastery, company, running a company, what it takes. Uh, definitely, I think, we can definitely go round two, round three, <laughs> you know, take it a little bit longer. And then yeah. I can't wait to see where your journey takes you. So thank you so much for being so generous. Yeah, with thank your, you for having me. With your, with your life experience.